Welcome to the Enchanted Ears Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. And on today's episode, we're going to be diving into the history of extraterrestrial alien encounter. Oh, yeah. Disney's scariest attraction they've ever built. Yeah, I'm definitely interested to talk about this, especially since um, I did have a chance to ride this ride, even though I was probably a little too young to ride it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I, I, I had never been on it. Because, uh, yeah, it was in the 90s. I never had a chance to ride it. But, yeah, looking back through the ride videos and everything, I could I could see why people were frightened by it. So, But before we get into that, I want to cover some Disney news for the week. So Disney had their earnings release. So we got to hear from Bob Chapek a little bit more about the companies. He did mention that Walt Disney World is still being capped at 35% capacity and that that's the plan to keep that cap for the foreseeable future. They did say, you know, that will be adjusted as more people are vaccinated that and they feel that it, it's safer to up the capacity. He did mention that, you know, he sees face masks being mandatory all of this year, but potentially next year in 2022, that could be lifted. Again, it, it's all kind of depending right now on on who's vaccinated. They also mentioned that they don't really foresee Disneyland reopening this quarter. They do see potentially Hong Kong Disney reopening, um, which I think is good. But I, I do know, you know, Disneyland, while they're not open, like the shops are open and some of the restaurants are open. So you are able to go into the park a little bit. I know they have like merchandise set up for uh, like Avengers on the streets of Hollywood and things. So while Avengers Campus isn't officially open, you can't go into um, Disney's California Adventure. You, you actually can walk in there as part of the shopping experience. So it's a interesting way to kind of get into the theme park a little bit without the theme parks actually being open. But it seems like that's still going to be the plan uh, for a while. Yeah, I I look forward to a time where we can return safely to some sort of semblance of normalcy. And Bob Chapek also announced that Black Widow is still intended to be a theatrical release. The Black but he didn't mention if that also means it could still come out as a premium rental on disney plus i think they're still waiting i think they still have some time in order to make this decision i mean i understand they want it to be a theatrical release but i have to imagine this is going to turn into something like raya where it comes out in theaters and on disney plus at the same time i know there have been some reports that kevin feige is the one against releasing the movies on Disney Plus because then it sets a precedent for all the future Marvel movies. And I kind of get that, but I do think at some point they can't keep pushing these movies back that they're going to have to release them. And sure, maybe it's not ideal to have Black Widow be a premium rental as well, but you know, if you push Black Widow back another 3 or 4 months, it just keeps pushing everything back. Like at some point you're going to have to release one of these and you can even say, "Hey, this is a one-time thing." Or I think people will understand if the rest of the Marvel movies don't come out as premium releases. I do know that like, we were watching this YouTube video and somebody did bring up the point that, you know, it's not a great look for Marvel to release, not theatrically release Black Widow when Black Widow is the first like female superhero they had. They killed her off. They killed off Gamora. Um, they do have Captain Marvel, but she well, Gamora's still alive. Well, they did kill her off though. And then she did come back, but, uh, it is somebody did bring up and I don't know if I'm fully on board with this, but it is an interesting thought that it might not be the best look for Disney to then 
just like give it up because they moved Jungle Cruise back. They so I mean they moved it back a full year. So and they moved Black Widow back a full year as well. Yeah, that is true. So I mean again, it it's it's how much can you delay these movies and and I think movies like the Jungle Cruise and things I I have to imagine are going to be on premium release as well. I just don't think they've announced that because they. They don't need to. I think if it gets to be June or July and movie theaters still aren't fully open, you'll see that. Again, I think the problem with Marvel is all of these movies connect. They're starting to release the Disney Plus shows, which tie into the theatrical releases. And so if you want to keep the phase going and you want to keep the continuity of story, you have to release these movies at some point or otherwise the TV shows aren't going to start making sense. Stuff's going to be too out of order. Yeah, it's not going to be in alignment. I, yeah. I agree. I what, think that- what makes Marvel so good is that connection from <laughs> one movie to another. So whereas other movie studios could get away with just delaying a movie indefinitely, they have to release them in some sort of order. It's not going to make sense anymore. I do have to imagine, though, you know, it does make them really good. But I feel like if you're not a person who's in, it really is daunting. Like, I think it would be really hard to jump in I know a lot of people have jumped in with WandaVision and I do have to wonder, like, I I think it would make a lot of sense without, you know, watching any of the other Marvel films, but there still is a little bit of context that you're missing. So I, I think it's, it it is both an advantage and a disadvantage. Yeah. And I think, I mean, most people are in on the movies now and I think (laughs) that's, that's what works so well is they have so many people in on it, but I do think it's a good point with WandaVision you kind of have to understand the movies, but not fully. I mean, there's not a ton tied in. Sure, there's a lot of Easter eggs if you're a huge fan of the comics, if you've watched all you know, 22, 23 MCU movies at this point that you're going to catch. But if you don't know that stuff, you're not necessarily going to miss it. So I, I do think the Disney Plus shows are almost going to act as a new feeder system for I, the movies. I was just thinking that. I, I think that you know this could be a good jumping in spot for a lot of people who maybe weren't previously involved with the movie. Yeah, because if you're watching WandaVision, that's going to lead directly into Doctor Strange 2. So then you're not going to go, oh, that Doctor Strange 2 movie makes sense to me because I know I know what led into it. Yeah. And then now, now you're one movie in. And if that leads into Spider-Man 3, now you're two movies in. And then you're too deep. And then you're just sold, you know, for the next <laughs> Avengers movie. And it's all working. So, and then finally this week, the Leave a Legacy tiles are back at Epcot in kind of their new format. So the monoliths were removed, I want to say a year, year and a half ago, that were right at the front of the park for the Leave a Legacy. And this is where people could submit pictures. And they were going to stay there for so many years. So everybody kind of knew they were coming back. Disney mentioned they would be back in a new format. They, we got our first look at this on Disney Parks blog. There are these new bright hues, and they're very colorful that kind of tie into Epcot's new color scheme. And they also play into the, you know, the wall trend, essentially, of taking your picture in front of really pretty walls. Yeah, it is. It's, it's kind of like a rainbow wall, yes. almost, I mean, as, as they change colors. And this is, I believe it's outside the park. So I believe it's before you get into the park. So it's not in the same spot where the old monoliths were. But it's outside the park. So those are all back. So if you want to check those out, they look a lot better. I know those the old ones were, were kind of an eyesore, and that's why they removed them out of the front of the park. They they really didn't look great, and they kind of you know blocked a lot of your 
<laughs> you know, photo ops in there. So I think pulling these out makes sense. I think to your point too, making them colorful now makes them a go-to photo attraction because it's now the leave a legacy wall. It's, it's this whole thing. You can, you can have ears that match it and everything now drinks that are that color. Yeah. Uh, Disney does this now with every wall they paint. Oh, now. Well, I didn't even realize how big walls were. I, I don't think this walls was, are huge. I didn't realize they're that very th- important for things. <laughs> they're important for buildings, but I didn't realize, I think we were, was it the social dilemma that we were watching on Netflix where they were talking about how people travel to like certain walls in LA just to get their picture taken? No, in front that of was them? the, that was the HBO documentary on fake famous. That was where what they it wanted, was. It was about how to make people like Instagram famous that there's a yeah, pink wall in LA that somebody traveled from like England just to take their picture in front of it. Like it's a wall people paint a wall in your house that color and fake it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think a lot of people are going to be beginning to check out these walls. So, And just want to mention, if you are planning a trip this year to go see the Leave a Legacy walls or to go for Disney's 50th <laughs> anniversary, be sure to reach out to our travel agent partner, uh, Becky Ginther from Castle Dreams Travel. We will link her Becky! information in the description below. She's been a guest on the show uh, multiple times, but be sure to reach out to her and let us know that you heard about her on the Enchanted Ears podcast. Awesome. All right. So jumping into our main topic this week, the history of extraterrestrial emphasis on terror alien encounter. But for the majority of this, we're just going to call it alien, alien encounter. encounter. Right. Because I think that's what most people know it as. So yeah, just to kind of go back to the beginning here. So for those of you who may not be familiar with alien encounter, it was an attraction in Tomorrowland and the idea of this ride goes all the way back to like the late 80s, early 90s. So it was originally, uh, the, the original concept is that it was going to go into Disneyland as part of the Tomorrowland 2055 makeover. And we've talked a lot about Tomorrowland with our, our guests. Uh, I think Chris Smith talked about this uh, with our interview with him uh, in December. So be sure to check that out if you haven't listened to that. Of Disney's problem with Tomorrowland is you can never stay ahead of the technology. It's kind of the issue Epcot has too with future world is by the time you design and build something, you're kind of already out of date. So, so Disney in the early nineties was having this issue with Tomorrowland and they were going to be redoing it and retheming it to Tomorrowland 55 and Disneyland that ultimately got scrapped. Um, the whole Tomorrowland 55 or majorly scaled back. But the idea was, Alien Encounter would go in here, and it was going to go in the old uh, Mission to Mars is what it was going to replace. It ultimately ended up replacing Mission to Mars in Disney World, but never made it in Disneyland. They actually were working on an alien-themed ride for the ni- in the 1980s called Nostromo, and it was kind of like an early version of Toy Story Mania, except for far less innocuous. Yeah, and actually, I mean, it basically turned into Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger Spin, which yeah. is a, another Tomorrowland attraction. But but you're right. So they had been working on an alien, so the alien movie franchise. And so that's the name of the ship in the alien franchise. So the whole idea was that you would be fighting xenomorphs. And you're shooting them and you're with shoot, laser yeah, guns. and you're shooting at them. So Disney definitely wanted to do something with the alien franchise and they did yeah and and it kind of came off the back of including it in the great movie ride so that was very popular in the great movie ride attraction the scene with ripley fighting the xenomorph uh over at at hollywood studios and so disney wanted to do more with it and so yeah you're right they were they already purchased the license for it so they had 
the ability to use it. Right. And so and so they were looking for more ways to do it. And and really why they wanted to do you know a full themed attraction to Alien because a lot of people said, you know, why are we doing this? I mean, Alien is an R-rated movie. It's not a Disney movie. It's not family friendly. And the real issue there is, you know, Eisner really wanted to capture a different demographic. So the story goes that his son Breck uh, had the opportunity to go to Des- Disneyland with him in California, and Breck was just like, uh, no, that park's way too lame. I'm not going to go. And he turned him down, and that kind of, I think, was, you know, I-, I can imagine being a father in that position, and it's a company that you love and are involved with, and he's thinking, you know, how can I make this appeal, and how can I make it age with my own children so that it ages with the rest of the American public? Yeah, I mean, Disney did kind of have that, I think, problem... In, in the early 90s, in the late 80s and early 90s, that they really only produced G-rated movies. And you kind of saw this with Ron Miller with Touchstone. I mean, he tried to make more teen adult movies. He tried to push the envelope a little bit. And he ultimately was kind of kicked out for it because the Disney you know board of directors didn't want to go in that direction. And they thought, no, we need to stay true to Walt's vision. We need to stay G family friendly, all ages. And I do think that did kind of box Disney into where, yeah, they had the market captured if you're under like eight years old perfectly. And then they also had the, you know, a parent market, but then that kind of, they lost that middle. Yeah. That middle, that like tween teenager, they definitely lost it. I mean, now they kind of have just all ages covered from like one to a hundred just with all their properties. But yeah, I mean, in, in the early 90s, and, and that's a big issue because who's going to go to theme parks is, is probably more likely, like, you know, teenage kids. Sure, or, parents or, are going to take their young children. Yeah, but, I was going to say, I mean, they're not going to leave the teenagers at home. They want something there to right. appeal to every one of their kids, not just part of them. Whenever they were working on this, Eisner was fully in support and in creating that alien connection, that alien collaboration. But a lot of the older Imagineers weren't. They were not very happy with the idea of shoehorning this other property, this R-rated property, into a a main ride that was going to go in Tomorrowland. And something that Disney didn't even own. You know, I think it's different when it's a Disney property, but... Yeah, all those R-rated Disney properties. No, right. But I mean, you're right. Disney doesn't have R-rated properties, but like when you're making an attraction... right. When it's one that you don't even have, that you didn't even create, so they have less creative control over it, you know, than if it was something that was in house Disney. Yeah, again, it's R rated, it's not fitting Disney. And you have to imagine you probably have some original Imagineers that probably started on Disneyland still around that are like, this isn't our vision. Well, exactly. I mean, they're looking at it and they're saying, you know, we knew Walt, or at least we feel connected to Walt, and this was not his vision. You are going directly against what he stood for and so you know they were in in some pretty like they were very opposed to it so actually uh you know and they tried to kind of i think go to eisner with this and he was just kind of like yeah okay whatever and how they ended up working with this is enter our our space swashbuckler george lucas so again we mentioned last week uh, or two weeks ago i think that george lucas just kind of seems to keep appearing in places 
And he appeared in this one, too, because he was collaborating at the time with Indiana Jones in California. So they kind of mentioned it to him and like approached him with it and said, you know, we don't think this is a good fit. And he said, you know what? Okay, I, I, I agree with you. I think that we could create maybe a more toned down version. I'd be willing to attach my name to it and I will cr- kind of help guide this. And I think I think he might have had a hand in creating the alien, the actual alien that wasn't the xenomorph. So they, they diverged from that idea of using the alien property. And of course, Eisner's like, oh, well, we have George Lucas's name that we can attach to this. Cool. I'm in. So they got George working with them and... You know, it ended up still being pretty scary because Michael Eisner rode the attraction and said it wasn't (laughs) scary enough. Yeah. And so, you know, that's one of the interesting things is that once this attraction opens and it opened uh, June 20th, 1995, a few months later than it was originally expected. Again, because Eisner. It was supposed to open in January and he wrote it and said, ah, not good enough. Right. And and we'll kind of get into the ride experience and, and kind of talk through what you experience in the ride. But you know, one of the interesting things is that once it does open, Disney puts a sign out front that says, you know, this ride may be frightening to people. They recommend children under like 13 or 14 don't ride it. And a lot of people were like upset by it. And they're like, why, why did Disney make this? I didn't expect, you know, this scary of an attraction or this intense of an attraction to be in a Disney theme park. And what's interesting is, you know, a lot of people go, why would Disney do this? But it's exactly what Eisner wanted. Like he, this yeah. is exactly what he asked for. He wrote, he said, no, it needs to be scarier. It needs to be more intense. So he got exactly what he wanted. So I think he was pleased with it. It very closely mirrors what happened again in the 1980s with Ron Miller, where we would say, you know, when we talked about the 1980s, check out our Disney decade episode on this. He, he created some of these movies um, and they had some really scary themes, some, really dark themes and people took their kids to see them because they're like, Oh, this is associated with Disney and they were horrified. So, I mean, exactly what like this exact same thing happened. I mean, I know this happened with my parents when they took me on this ride. Cause I think they were thinking we're in a, a child safe place. We'll go in this alien encounter thing. It sounds kind of cool. And then it ended up being a horrifying experience. Yeah, but I got to say, again, they put a sign out front almost immediately. I think word probably spread pretty quickly that this was frightening. So I think people that were like, I didn't realize it'd be that scary. Now, again, you don't have YouTube. You don't have like ride through attractions. We did rewatch this video. It really doesn't seem that bad. I could see it being more scary if you're a younger kid there. I think as an adult. Yeah, I'll talk about my experience. You're not going to like this. but, But I will say it was a hit, though, with teenagers the age group that michael eisner was targeting loved it so it did work and i think that's kind of almost the ironic thing is that people hated it but it worked for exactly what they wanted you know he wasn't looking at this being you know a broad family ride he wanted it to be thrilling for the teens i will say this though it was originally supposed to go into disneyland and there tomorrowland i actually think if it would have went into Disneyland versus Disney World, it would have been a more popular attraction. And I think it would have done better because I think Disneyland, Disney World, you get a lot of families, you get a lot of people going on vacation, and it is a lot more unexpected there. Whereas Disneyland, it's a lot of locals. It's a lot of people that are that like Hollywood, that like the movies and kind of just a different clientele. They, they would, I think, 
appreciate the special effects and what they did a lot better. And I think you would get a lot more, again, teenagers, kids, locals who are going multiple times a year would go and would want to ride this ride because they liked it. So I think if it would have went to Disneyland, it would have been a much more successful attraction. And I think we would be looking at it in a different light versus, and we'll get to this kind of how it, how it died (laughs) and it's afterlife, which was, which was awful. So uh, speaking of that, let's just get into, let's dive into the ride experience. So of course, as we already mentioned, when you're outside the ride, there are warning signs telling you that for kids and for some adults, this might be a little bit too intense. Um, again, I can see how this could easily be missed, but I know where they put those signs. And of course they put them up there and it's people's responsibility to read. But um, yeah, a lot of people I think miss those. And I think to your point, people probably thought, Oh, I'm in Disney. They're kind of exaggerating. It can't be that bad. So the pre-show of the ride you meet some alien beings and then there is a robot who explains the alien technology from XS Tech, by which they are able to transport this one small alien named Skippy, and he's really kind of cute. He looks like some sort of mixture between a snail, an elephant, and a shrimp. So try to picture that in your head. Um, and then he goes from one tube to another. So they, it's basically a tel- teleport- teleportation device where they can fragment you into your molecule- molecules and then re- um, like rebuild you and that's kind of the whole idea of of the attraction so right. this pre-show is kind of setting it up that you're then going to see a larger scale teleportation experiment right. right so this is just that yeah that small scale of it but you notice in this pre-show and this is the part where you start to realize that things aren't going to go quite right that this little tiny cute alien gets really burned and kind of looks like he's really uncomfortable and he makes some uncomfortable sounding noises as well and that's kind of that disturbing precursor to what you're about to experience and it allows you you know if you're kind of like oh this is this is a little off like it kind of gave you the chance to pull out ahead of time so then finally the riders are led into this big theater and it was a theater in the round and they are strapped into a harness. So again, another thing that lets me know oh, this is going to be scary. Yeah, I mean this has full <laughs> shoulder harnesses. I mean yeah. this isn't just like oh you can sit down and and obviously they did this to kind of strap you in so that you can't run away in the middle <laughs> of the attraction because well it, that and there's also technology that they use during the whole thing that you need the harnesses for. Right, but I could imagine. I mean the way this attraction goes, you know, eventually it goes pitch black. People are freaking yeah. out, screaming. People, you know, if they got up and started running in a, in a dark theater, yes. you're going to have problems. So they, they really had to tie you in. They want to make sure you're yeah. good. So then the SX Tech's chairman in their volunteers to be transported to Earth to answer questions about their new technology. So he's supposed to come into this big cylindr- cylindrical uh container in the center of the room to talk to you about this technology but in the middle of his transport the transmission is intercepted and then the instead um it instead there's this big monster uh you know alien monster has leathery wings a forked tongue and red glowing eyes and it shows up in the middle and it's like 20 feet tall i mean the the tube in the middle is you know a floor to ceiling and it's kind of centipede like cylinder yeah and so you have this giant yeah, monster alien. I mean, again, you could see this, yeah, being a xenomorph. I mean, as much as they said, oh, we didn't want to use the alien franchise, I mean, they oh they cribbed from it pretty heavily, you know, 100%. for a lot of the stuff and 100%. a lot of the inspiration. Yes, exactly. So then, you know, the lights kind of flicker and then the glass breaks, and you are left with knowing that this giant 
monster alien has gone out and the lights go out and you can hear like it's it's romping around the room at that point and of course there are panic voices from the aliens that you're you're talking with there's you know this whole time kind of helping to elevate that sense of panic and dread that you have already from being in a room with this thing yeah and then it kind of becomes a 4d experience where like you said you're you know the shoulder harnesses also act to have you know vibration in them there's like water sprayed and smells to make it seem like the aliens like drooling on you or or he's like scurrying across the floor or breathing on you and really how they they did it is they wanted to make it you know almost an individual experience so everybody is kind of feeling the same thing. So you got the impression that the alien was specifically targeting you, you know, so, you know, this alien's running around, but because everybody's kind of feeling this sensation individually, it feels like, Oh, he's breathing specifically on my shoulder. And, and so hundreds of people are all feeling the same thing. They're just screaming. So they use that technology that they already had from honey. I strung the audience and kind of corrupted it from there. So as Joe was mentioning, they have, um, there's like blood splatter and they use water of course. And then the other really freaky thing that I wanted to mention that he didn't is the way they use the shoulder harness is it actually, it, it compresses down on you. So it feels like, and sounds like the monster is literally landed on top of your harness. So it is horrifying. And then I think they also injected some fake screams in there as well to elevate your sense of panic. And then of course there were, plenty of real screams to fill the air and make it even scarier. So all around, it was a horrifying experience. As I mentioned before, my parents took me to Disney World when I was nine years old. And it they took me on this ride because again, they didn't realize what they were kind of doing, I think. And of course, it was kind of a cool movie. And you're at this place that was known for having kids. So I'm sure my parents w- wanted to ride this ride. So I do remember, and my memory is a little fuzzy, but I do remember just how absolutely horrified I was. I remember kind of seeing the little guy and thinking like, oh my gosh, that little alien just got fried. And then I remember being just terrified. And I do remember, like, I don't remember it being a really horrible experience looking back, but I do remember like the breathing on the neck. And I remember some of those different things. And I think my parents probably did a good job of kind of talking it down. Cause like I said, it's not like I remember it as this traumatic thing, but I do definitely remember it. And so it obviously caused some form of trauma cause my memory of the trip is really fuzzy. So, um, yeah, it kind of stands out as it's a standout ride there. <laughs> Yeah, and I and I will say so. I I never, at least I don't remember riding the Alien Encounter ride, but I did ride the Incarnation after, which is <laughs> Stitch's Great Escape. So, so this attraction again, it opened in 1995. It made it eight years until 2003. Again, it was popular with the demographic Michael Eisner was going for. I mean, he he got what he wanted there, but the you know young kids hated it. Parents didn't like it, and so ultimately, it, it didn't last very long. And so Disney's solution to this was, well, let's just make it for kids. And so they rethemed the whole thing after 2003 to Stitch, and they made it Stitch's Great Escape. And so instead of having a giant alien in the middle, you have a giant Stitch animatronic and. Now Stitch is on the loose and he's burping chili dogs in your face and stuff. And it 
it was worse. I mean, yeah. I think I think kids still hated it and parents still hated it. Like yeah. it didn't it didn't fix it because it almost dumbed the attraction down so much that it was just too corny that yeah. I think even kids that like Stitch, I mean, you like Stitch and you're like, eh, this kind of just kind of feels dumb. It's one of those things and good lesson for any kids maybe listening to the podcast is you can't please everyone. So I think that Disney made this as a way to say, okay, we'll kind of preserve this thing that some of the teenagers and adults may like, but we're also going to make it so kids can enjoy it too. So everybody will be happy, but you can't make everybody happy. And sometimes when you do that, you actually make it to the point where nobody is happy. And that's kind of what they did. Yeah. And I think part of the the problem was, and we talked about this a few weeks ago when we were talking about the 2000s decade. So in you know 2003, this was right kind of in the middle of the travel slowdown. Attendance was down. Things weren't going great at the theme parks. And so Disney probably didn't have a lot of money to say, let's tear out this yeah. attraction completely and re- and build something new. Heck, they still haven't really done that. <laughs> yeah, I mean exactly. I mean they basically the pre-show was exactly the same. They used the same Skippy was there. They used the same intro. Again, it was they added stitch characters on the screens versus the alien people talking to you and they made it I think Skippy still got fried, but it was a more comical way about it. And basically, you know, all of the features in the attraction are the same. But again, instead of, you know, blood splatter, it's just chili dog stench. Yeah. And it's Stitch (laughs) sneezing on you or just, you know, shooting water at you. And it's just a big Stitch animatronic. And so it was much cheaper to do that re-theme. But again, it didn't work very well. It it was seasonal for years. Uh, In 2018, they finally closed it. But to your point, and now it's just sitting empty. It was a Stitch meet and greet for a little bit, um, but now they don't have character meet and greet. So that that is just empty. And, and I will say it's definitely gone for good. If you search the internet for like Stitch animatronic, there's a very freaky, it's it's probably scarier than the alien attraction was, <laughs> but it is a Stitch's head completely with his skin peeled off. And it's, and it's almost like a Five Nights at Freddy's uh, animatronic um, Stitch. Somebody took, you know, a picture of it backstage so they have completely you know dismantled these animatronics so yeah so now they have this huge space in tomorrowland and again i think disney's running into the issue again that they had in the early 90s of what does tomorrowland become oh my oh do you look it up oh my <laughs> that's really creepy yeah you hit it right on the like nail on the head five nights at freddy's right there as I was saying, I think, you know, Disney's running into what they ran into in the 90s with Tomorrowland is what is Tomorrowland going to be? It is it is now this hodgepodge of attractions. You know, you have this uh, large show building now that's empty that has nothing in it. And it's just a mix of everything. You have Monsters, Inc. You have Buzz Lightyear. But now you're going to have Tron. You have Space Mountain. You have this empty building. You know, there's there's been talk that it was going to be a Wreck-It Ralph attraction or something. And I think... I think Disney needs to come up with something. I do think once they get done with Epcot, you know, maybe t- maybe a Tomorrowland redo, and and maybe now this got pushed back years, so maybe this is now late 2020s. But I could see them redoing that because again, Monsters Inc is closed because they they can't have that attraction right now. So I think they have a lot of space there, and they could you know potentially kind of redo this and, and make it more timeless. 
Yeah, I I think that this this is this is Disney's opportunity right here to confirm the Pixar theory because the Pixar theory looks at a futuristic world that harkens harkens back to the past. I think a little bit. So if they just did that, they can make the whole area Pixar themed. But and I think then, the problem is you have Space Mountain, you have Tron. True. Those aren't Pixar themed. You have it's true. You have Tomorrowland Speedway, and again, it, they need to have some more connection. And again, I think Buzz Lightyear. Space Ranger Spin is a very popular ride. Monsters, Inc., Laugh Factory. I think that could probably go. So I think they have some stuff that they could work with. I think they just need to make it futuristic, but almost, I think they need to make it more sci-fi. I think sci-fi is a way to do it that you're never going to kind of catch up to reality because Tron's kind of sci-fi. You know, yeah. Space Travel's kind of sci-fi. Buzz Lightyear, again, kind of a sci-fi spin. So what else can they kind of do to make it more, you know, science fiction technology type type thing. Yeah. So it it'll be interesting to see. Some some kind of just interesting facts about uh, Alien Encounter. So you know, Disney did insert references to XS Tech um, throughout the attraction. So there was some references to their tech to the company. There was some references to the company in the Space Mountain queue. Also, if you ride in uh, Disney California Adventure. If you ride Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout, there is an XS invoice in the collector's office. Huh. So there's a reference there. And I will say, when we were researching this and we watched the video, I said, that animatronic of the alien looks just like the monster it journeyed to the center of the Earth over oh, in Tokyo yes. Disney Sea. It kind of has those, like you said, kind of like a centipede, like yeah. you know, multiple arms. And so I looked it up. I, I couldn't find specific confirmation that it's the same thing because Journey to the Center of the Earth did open before Alien Encounter closed. But I, I did see a few websites say that the lava monster does share a very similar re- resemblance. And so it could potentially be they, they use the same molds. They use a similar mold to build that one. Or they could have taken an older version of the animatronic and kind of reworked it. But they do have a very similar feel. So I think probably at the very least, they use similar molds or kind of designs for that, which makes sense because they were probably working on Tokyo Disney Sea whenever in the mid 90s. And mm-hmm. so there's probably a good chance that the Imagineers saw that and said, oh, that we could make that work. We could make that alien work in this attraction that we're doing here. Um, because that that lava monster, they do have a lot of similarities. If you look them both up online, you'll see they're they're very similar. So I thought that was kind of interesting. That is interesting. So, but yeah, but you know, ultimately, you know, I, you gotta give it to Disney. I think at least for trying something different. Right. I mean, I, I think we were talking we were talking about this because we were watching the the ride through of the new Mario Kart attraction. Oh my god! Over yes. in over in Universal yes. uh, Japan, and. It was kind of a letdown. Now, again, I mean, we're watching a ride through. We're not experiencing it firsthand. But it seems like it's so focused on the AR technology and just throwing turtles at things. And if you haven't seen it, check it out. That it, it just seemed like it doesn't really capture the it, spirit of Mario Kart. It misses the mark because they focus on throwing turtles and they do focus on the scenery. Like the, the animatronics, the scenery in the ride are beautiful. But it is also a racing game. So there is no racing component. And I know we were talking about it and said, 
it would almost be better if they did like a test track. It's not even a te- like a trackless ride vehicle. They, it would have been better if they would have done something like test track where you move kind of slowly through some of the scenery and so they could have that beautiful stuff. But then also it should open up so that you can at least get some speed going. Yeah. And, and I will say Universal is definitely trying something with the AR, the augmented reality built into an attraction. So I don't want to make it sound like yeah. I'm saying that they never try to push the medium. But you know, I, I do think that is a, a knock, especially at Universal Orlando, is that they're doing a lot of sc- screen-based attractions. And they have been for years. And they have been. And that's why you know, and people say, well, how come Universal can build these attractions so much quicker? And, and why does it take Disney so long to build these attractions? And that's why. I mean, Universal's kind of relying on that sc- screen-based attraction. And like you said, you know, Disney's trying trackless ride vehicles. It maybe takes longer. Like Rise of the Resistance has a lot of problems. But when it works, it works well. And they're at least, I feel like, trying to push the medium. They're trying to build more practical sets. And I think that this goes to an example that they're trying something. It doesn't always work. But then maybe something else comes out of it that does work. And I think they should at least be commended for that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, just one other thing about Universal. Universal is a great park. I remember right when we first started to kind of get back into Disney um, and got into it together. I know we went we went to Disney and Universal, and I remember being like, "Oh my gosh, Universal has amazing rides. Disney's rides aren't anywhere near this." But then I kept riding them, and then I was like, "Well, this ride, the, the Spider Man rides, just like the Transformers ride, which is just like some other ride." Like they do you're right they have this footprint and then they kind of just change whatever skin they have on it and then it's almost the exact same ride so then it kind of does lose its luster so it is nice to see that you know this i know that this isn't a a universal podcast but it is nice to at least see that they did something different with the mario kart yeah the mario kart attraction kind of has a a men in black feel to it i I will say i mean with you i mean we both love going to universal it is great I, i will say i do think universal has started to take that criticism to heart of, oh, it's just screen attraction. I mean, the Fast and the Furious ride that they built, people hate. They spent like two years building this and nobody rides it. And Mm so, because it's it's just a screen and people hated it. And I think they started to realize that because now it seems to be what they're trying to go for, kind of like what Disney was doing with Alien Encounter, is they're trying to go for thrilling. They're trying to capture the, a little bit edgier, teen audience because they built Hagrid's uh, motorbike adventure, which is a roller coaster that goes 50, 60 miles an hour mm-hmm. and is thrilling. And now they're building the Velocicoaster, which is a another high speed launch roller coaster. I'm excited for that one. Based on Jurassic World. Exactly. And so <laughs> I think they've realized, hey, that's a niche we can get into because Disney really doesn't build roller coasters. And the ones they build aren't that thrilling and exciting Everest is, but for the most part they aren't. So I think universal realizes, Hey, look, we can build some roller coasters, mix in some animatronics, practical sets and really set ourselves apart and really capture again, that audience that maybe Disney isn't fully capturing, especially at Disney world. Cause you don't have Marvel at Disney World. So right. that's kind of what, what the teen audience likes. And they can't have Marvel because of Universal. You know, <laughs> Universal has Marvel Land. So I think, you know, they're starting to see that. And I think that's good for them. And I think if they kind of push, you know, those thrilling rides, that's good in Orlando because Universal's close by there. And, you know, and Disney's kind of pushing these technological Marvel, you know, rides and they're pushing Star Wars heavy and things like that. And so I, I think it's a good mix down in Orlando. Okay. So a thought just occurred to me. Universal has a whole um, Simpsons area 
in their park, don't they? they? Do. Yeah. So now Disney owns that. Could there be some sort of trade off? Like, hey, you can sure you can have our Simpsons, but you got to give us back our Marvel. Like, yeah, I think I think they keep Simpsons. I mean, it, it's really interesting because you're getting Guardians of the Galaxy in Epcot now, and they're Marvel, so. It's not every Marvel property. I know there's talk of potentially a Black Panther attraction in Disney World, and I don't know how that fits in. But I do think that agreement is becoming a little looser. I mean, I understand why Universal wants to hold on to it. And I think Disney's kind of okay with it because they get a cut of all ticket sales and all merchandise sales in Universal anyways because they have that land. So, I mean, I think they're they're ultimately okay. And now... I mean, Disney's not going to spend the money now to build some sort of, you know, new land based on Marvel solely in Disney World. But and I do, th- I think that the the two parks recognize that they are cosmic cosmically intertwined. I mean, they are they benefit mutually off of each other's existence. Yeah, but I have to think as Disney now gets into this phase where they're starting to go even deeper cuts in terms of superheroes. So the Eternals, Shang Chi, not the main Spider Man, X Men. Because I, I think that's what Universal owns. They own anybody related to Spider-Man. They own anybody related to X-Men, Fantastic Four. And that's why Disney can't use those people. But like Guardians of the Galaxy is kind of a gray area slash okay because it's not part of the Avengers. But I think as they start using some of these other characters, Disney may be able to start utilizing them in the parks because they're kind of technically outside that agreement. Because whoever thought they would make a movie about the Eternals or you know something like that, or or Shang Chi, or you know, even even some of these you know new people like Miss Marvel, who that that character wasn't created in the comics till a few years ago, which was after the agreement was signed with Universal. And so you know I don't know how that all plays in, but I think as Disney expands what they're using in the movies i think there's more opportunity to get some more marvel in there but again i don't think you're ever going to get a full avengers land in disney world like you're going to get over in california right that was a really fun one and again i you know whenever you do we do these like historical ride episodes or historical ride area like when we did the adventurers club and just learning about that and even though we'd never experienced it i thought it was it, it was just a really fun thing to do because it's fun to see where disney has been has gone to kind of help them you know help us to see where they're going to be going yeah and all their old stuff always bubbles up again too yeah so you know learning kind of what their history is it kind of gives you an idea like you said of where they're going so but yeah this this was interesting to see it was fun to watch the ride video learn a little bit more about this attraction because you definitely hear about it and then you know how it got kind of ruined with stitch and so it was good (laughs) to kind of see the history but Disney likes to do those kind of things like that. They did it with the Tiki Room too, right? They they did a takeover of the Tiki Room somewhere. For a little bit, yeah, under new management with was, Iago and that that didn't yeah. last very long. But <laughs> I was thinking, but I mean with the Tiki Room, I mean over in Japan, it's Stitch. It is Stitch. It's, it was pretty cute though. Yeah, no, I liked it, it. It was good over there. Yeah, if any of our listeners uh, rode this attraction and had their childhood uh, traumatized <laughs> as well, you know, definitely let us know over on Facebook. We're, we're Enchanted Ears over there. But I want to thank everybody again for listening this week. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe leave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast it really helps and we really appreciate it thanks for letting us your ears have a great week everybody and we'll see you here next monday bye